No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense of it all. Welcome to Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community with the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our tots on target. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our first podcast. This is something we are truly excited to embark upon. We've been thinking about starting this podcast for a very long time, and we are so excited and pumped up about this new chapter that we are starting here. So thank you so much for joining us. Today, we are going to be talking about something that we have heard so many parents struggling with, and that is anxiety in their children. Nervous about going to school on occasions, or nervous about going to a birthday party, anxious about situations with friends, with younger children separating from their parents. There are so many areas where we notice our children have some levels of anxiety, and we want to explore this topic a lot more with you today. Just to give you a little bit of a sneak peek, we are going to be answering some of the following questions. What anxiety looks like in our children? How do we identify what exactly is anxiety? What levels of anxiety and nervousness are just typical for growing children? Because we adults also have anxiety. And when is it time to access additional help? And when we are dealing with our children's anxieties at home, how do we coach them through it? How do we acknowledge their fears while also helping them move forward? These are a lot of intense questions that we've had personally, and we've heard from so many of you that you struggle with these same questions and concerns on a daily basis. So we want to get you those answers. To help us explore and answer all of these questions, we are here with somebody that I am personally very close with. Her name is Dr. Karen Weiss, and she is a clinical psychologist with her own practice in Midtown Manhattan. She treats children through adults and does neuropsych evaluation. Welcome, Karen. We're so happy that you're here today. It's great to be here. I really want to open up on the topic of anxiety. I know that I have read so much more about anxiety in the literature, and I feel like it's more of a topic of conversation, you know, amongst parents. And it's really something that I'm just noticing more and more. And I know that you not only perform the neuropsychological evaluations, but you also do one-on-one counseling. And I was wondering, what can you tell us surrounding anxiety within your practice? Yeah, so anxiety in kids presents sometimes similarly as it presents in adults, but oftentimes it looks different. And certainly because kids spend so much of their time in school, the teachers are usually often the first ones to pick it up. So there are different kinds of anxiety. There's the kind of general anxiety of kids who just worry a lot about kind of everything. It's not really specific. It's not really tied to one context. It just comes out everywhere. Um, and they'll often need a lot of reassurance. Are they doing things okay? They'll come across sometimes as insecure. Um, lots of worries that parents will have to reassure and teachers will have to reassure. And then there are other kinds of anxiety that are more focused. So one kind of anxiety is social anxiety, um, where kids have a hard time being around other kids or even sometimes adults. Um, they'll have a hard time making friends or keeping friends or being part of the group. 
they'll just feel more um, like on the outskirts and have a hard time integrating. Um, Then there are phobias where kids have a hard time. They're scared to go to sleep at night because of the dark or they're scared of clowns or they're scared of elevators or something more specific that we think of more as a phobia than as a general anxiety. In school, what teachers often say is that what they see is kids who are generally anxious appear kind of unfocused, restless in their seat. Um, they need to take a lot of breaks. Sometimes they're like wandering, the kids who are like wandering the halls and having a hard time coming back to class. Um, often teachers wonder if there's an inattentive or a hyperactive component there that ends up just being anxiety. Um, and other times it's, it, it looks exact, like exactly what it looks like in an adult. It looks like a kid is kind of preoccupied, talking about the same thing over and over, having a hard time let, letting go, getting stuck on something specific that happened that morning or something that they're worried about will happen during the day. And it looks more kind of classic. Okay, so I have two follow-up questions to that. And the first is, do you think there's really been an uptick in diagnosis? Or do you think we're just better at diagnosing and really identifying these kids that are struggling? And number two would be, do you think people are just hardwired to be more anxious, some more than others? Or do you feel like as a society, we've sort of evolved and changed. Our society is very chaotic. You know, our academic, you know, our schools are, can, you know, can be very rigorous. And do you think that this is just... Um, our, our kids' way of expressing um, some of the enormous pressures that they feel. So in terms of um, an uptick or are we just better at diagnosing, it's a really good question. I don't have a good answer for it, but I think in general, um, if I think about my own experience in school or what I hear about from adult patients is that people were just less savvy and parents were less focused on the nuances of emotional functioning and teachers were just not as um, educated in picking up those kinds of signs. And so um, my guess is that there's at least a part of it that is just we're just more savvy and we're more informed and more educated about what what anxiety looks like and what it means and how it manifests. And not just anxiety, I think that that's really uh, across um, mood disorders, ADHD, learning disabilities, kind of across the psychological spectrum. Um, and then in terms of like, where does it come from? There's, there's, Definitely a part that is hereditary. So sometimes you very often, one of the questions that I'll ask when parents come in is, is there anyone else who is particularly anxious in the family, um, diagnosed or not? Because like we were just saying, sometimes parents grew up, oftentimes the parents grew up in an age where um, someone clearly had OCD, but they were just never seen in treatment and quirky, you know, he, he needs things a certain way, but he never was really diagnosed. So very often I'll ask questions about like, just tell me about the other people in the family. Does anyone, does anyone else present this way so that we can get an idea of to what degree this is hereditary? But then there are also lots of factors that go into what makes a kid or an adult anxious. So Traumatic experiences can bring it on. Bullying certainly can bring it on. Yeah. There, there are lots of environmental just dynamics and relational patterns that can can induce anxiety. And often those are a little bit easier to treat because especially if you get it, if you if you catch it fairly quickly and there isn't really an organic component to it, it can be really um, alleviated by treatment fairly quickly. An additional follow-up question is what you're describing also of certain situations that lead to further anxiety. I find that children have some level of anxiety yeah. almost every day, right? <laughs> some, something, you know, who am I going to sit with on the bus on the class trip? Or um, this child didn't want to sit next to me at lunch. And so there's always those things that kids experience on a regular basis that 
they have some level of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so when is it important for a parent to acknowledge, okay, wait, we're going over the brink where it's not just the typical daily activities and this is what kids go through as they go grow up? Or is it really something that they need to go see you? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think we all experience anxiety, adults too. And anxiety is a part of life, just a feeling that everyone yeah. feels. And the goal is not to not feel any anxiety because interestingly, anxiety promotes us. It pushes us to grow. If you don't have any anxiety, there's, you know, you're kind of complacent and there's no reason to change or Almost develop like in any way. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. So, so you want a little bit of anxiety and not the kind of anxiety you're describing necessarily because those are the kinds of worries that don't feel good and kind of get in our way at times. But I think the line is when it becomes clear that a kid's functioning is being impaired in one or more contexts fairly regularly. So your kids will will experience worries every day, but chances are the kids without anxiety disorders will get over them more quickly or they'll be able to um, let it go with a little bit of help from you or every day will be a slightly different thing that kind of rates on a, you know, feelings thermometer scale of one being no anxiety at all, 10 being the most anxiety, somewhere like around a three or a four. When your kid is experiencing mm-hmm. like sixes, sevens, eights, nines okay. on a fairly regular basis, it'll probably be noticeable. So, so what I, what I see in my practice is that the parents who end up bringing their kids in kind of feel in their gut. Like my kid is more anxious than she should be. I see like the other kids that he's playing with and there's just something different. There's something qualitatively different about the way that he worries and the way that his friends worry. And sometimes it's hard like to differentiate where that line is. Is it like 10 times a day? Is it 10 times a week? Right. Right? It's like, it's not a, it's not like a quantity thing. But I think when you see that your kid is really struggling to move beyond those worries, at least daily, that it's time to think about what the next steps would be. For a child that is worried, I never know when to like feed into it or ignore it. Mm-hmm. And right, like, do I say, oh, yes, this must be hurting you. Like, tell me more versus it's okay. You'll get over it. Let's move on. And so I feel like that's also the case with anxiety as well. You want to acknowledge your children's right. fears But you also sometimes like when you play into it too much, it exacerbates it. So what's the right balance for children that are a little bit before the point that they need to come to you? Mm -hmm. If you're dealing with it at home, how do you know where that balance lies or is there a way to know? I think it it depends on the situation and depends on the kid. But in general, what I would say is validate the emotional experience, validate the feeling, but kind of like don't match the level of intensity of the feeling, uh-huh. right? So if the kid is presenting, if if he's saying, um, if he's complaining about his stomach and like the dramatic nature of his complaint is like a seven, let's say, you can, you can a- acknowledge that he's feeling that way without meeting him at a seven. So I'm wondering, is it okay to change the description? So for... An example, my daughter was on a cheer squad and we had gone, you know, to a new football field. It was in a neighboring town and she all of a sudden started in with, you know, my stomach hurts, I'm nervous, I don't really like the way I feel. And instead, I tried to, to like morph her, like morph her description, I guess. And I, I said to her, I don't think you're really nervous. I think you're just excited because this is a new place and you've never been here before and I think you're just feeling excited. So I tried to take what she said and sort of like spin it 
into like and put it in a positive light? So that that's complicated because the, <laughs> the, the message is so it's it's hard because in general with feelings with kids, um, if we tell our kids, no, you're not feeling what you're saying, you're feeling you're feeling something else, then they don't learn to trust their feelings. And we want them to be able to be in touch enough with their feelings to be able to check in with themselves and say, how do I feel? So in that moment, she's probably scared. And she might be excited too. So if you wanted to include that element of just opening up her mind, then you can say, yeah, I know new, new places and new situations are, they're kind of, they're scary. I get scared too. Sometimes I also feel excited, right? We're in a new place. We're going to meet new people. There's going to be a lot of energy. Sometimes I get confused when I'm feeling excited and when I'm feeling nervous because sometimes they feel the same. So if you wanted to spin it, I think you can do something like that where you're not dismissing her feeling, but you're also, you're elaborating. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and it's a really good strategy because it's really the best of both worlds for our kids. So like you said, we're not dismissing what they're saying and she feels like I I really get her, I understand her, I believe her when she says something, but I'm also encouraging her to sort of like discern what different emotions feel like. So what does anxiety or real fear feel like versus maybe just excitement. And and the other the other way to go, I think that that's a very legitimate response. Another way to go is to validate the experience of she's scared, leave it at that, but then help her work it through. Remember last week when we went to that other meet and we, you were at your your swim meet, remember that you were so nervous at the beginning, you had that same feeling. How did it turn out? Did you have the same feeling at the end? At what point did that feeling go away? So if you try, if you, if you take them at their word that that's how they're feeling, you can also help them get more perspective on feelings are fleeting. You're not going to be overwhelmed. Mm. You can survive this. You can cope with this and it's not going to last long term. I think that's a really good message too. Yes. Yeah. I really think that's a good message. Um, I love that you're just not leaving them in that space. You're expanding you know, they're thinking, you're showing them what's possible, maybe letting them know like what could happen or what has happened in the past. Um, And I feel like you're also like almost allowing them to self-reflect and, you know, figure out, I don't have to be stuck here. I have choices. I felt this before and I've gotten, you know, I've gotten past it. And an added benefit I think is in terms of the relationship, which is my mom really gets me. She hears me. She trusts me. She knows what I'm feeling. And she, she really gets it. It's hard because sometimes we ourselves as adults experience emotions differently than our children will. Just like I'm sure I experience different emotions than my parents do Mm -hmm. in many ways. So it's sometimes hard to put ourselves in their shoes, but these are good strategies to be able to reward them in a way that does help them feel like we are relating to them. Yeah. And I think the challenge is also that in those moments, our attention is divided So we're not purely listening to our kids' feelings. We're like parking the car and we're trying to get them ready and we need to be there at 10 o'clock and there's like a lot going on. And now we're late, right? (laughs) And so we're not even feeling particularly empathic towards them necessarily or we just don't have like the the space to be able to like check in with ourselves and say, like, how are they feeling? What is it? What must that feel like to be eight or nine or 10 and, you know, having those big feelings in their body. So I think that that's the challenging part too. And then if we can just be mindful to like reserve 2% or 5% of our emotional capacity to be able to check in with them and to really like just stop for a second and just say, 
they're a different person than I am. And so what seems to me, either because I'm an adult or because I'm just different as something that like, we just need to move past this. This feels very real to them in the moment. Yes, you're right. In the moment, that emotion does feel very real to them. That's definitely true. Um, So now I'm thinking, what else specifically could you offer parents you know, if they're if they're dealing with you know a child that is very anxious or very unsure, what can you give them? What strategies can you give them in the moment to help overcome that? Like your child doesn't want to go to the birthday party because they're nervous to see a friend. Like, is there something that they can say to their child to help them get over that? Or so I think I think one of the challenges that anxious kids present for parents in general is that they ask the parents to do a lot of work. And so there's emotional work in terms of reassuring and trying to be patient and present, like we were just talking about. But then there's also the logistical work of jumping in and trying to save them, making things better. So for a kid who um, who doesn't want to go to this birthday party, let's say, sometimes parents will feel like, oh, I'll just call the other mom and give them a heads up that my kid is feeling a little bit fragile. And, you know, can you just like keep an eye out for them or just tell your daughter. I, I think a, a, a helpful strategy for the kid to help the kid work through this so that this doesn't become a pattern of over-dependence where the parents have to consistently jump in and save this kid in those kinds of ways is to, in that moment, try to empower the child to problem solve. So, okay, so you're feeling really you're feeling really scared. You're feeling those, those feelings in your, in your belly that we've talked about, or, you know, you, what does it feel like in your body? You can ask it if that's never been a conversation before. So you want to validate the feeling again, but then, okay. So what do you think is going to happen when you first get there? Who's a safe person? Who do you mm-hmm. think you'll be happy to see? Where can you sit? Can you bring something special that you can keep in your pocket that will make you feel better? So, so try to help them open-ended questions help them generate ideas about what might might help them. And basically what you're doing is you're teaching coping skills. Yes, definitely. And you're giving them the power. So it's, it's almost like you haven't really solved the problem for them. Um, you're giving them the power to sort of, you know, come up with how they're going to handle that situation, how they're going to move through it, how they're going to process it, um, and also giving them solutions. And what I, what I think parents need to expect is that at the beginning, the kids will not be able to do this. Because they're anxious and it's scary. And we as adults get paralyzed and stuck when when we're faced with a situation that feels scary. And very often when we're anxious, we just shut down and we're not able to like let our minds wander. So what I what I would expect is it's going to be a frustrating experience the first time. Give them more scaffolding. So if they can't come up with ideas on their own. Maybe you can generate some ideas for them and then slowly over time back those ideas off so that the balance between who's generating the ideas shifts from the parent to the child. And really empowering, right, empowering for the child, which is really the, the most important part. One more question is, if you get to a situation where your child just adamantly refuses a birthday party, they don't want to go to that birthday party, do you force them to go? Or do you say, okay, just this once, or I'm going to let you stay home. Like we don't want to create a trauma situation if a child's really not able to go. You know, maybe they had a fight with a friend that we just don't know about and they're not telling us, like, is it okay to say to your child, like, okay, I'm not going to make you go? Sometimes I think it is. Sometimes I think, I think it depends because you also don't want that to become the parent's way of saving the kid. And we don't, we don't want to communicate. I don't think you can do this, Right. right? I'm on board with that. So I think, I think especially in the moments where you make a decision, this would just be 
worse to send to send her to the birthday party. I think a conversation is warranted about, I think that we could have figured out a way for you to be comfortable. If you feel like you disagree, then I'm not going to push you. If you change your mind in 15 minutes, then we can talk about how do we can make this work. Otherwise, let's sit it out this time. And when we're both calmer and we can think things through clearly, let's plan this for next time. Right. So almost like you're not letting them off the hook, um, but you're letting them know that you're going to work with them. You're going to problem solve through it. And then next time you are going to look for a different way, a different way to tackle this, a different way to deal with this. Yeah. The one, the one exception that to this that I would say is kids with real anxiety disorders that require treatment. Um, they might not even be able to be at that stage where they can anticipate next time or problem solve. They're just so shut down and so unable to figure out a solution out that even those kinds of conversations between the parents and the kids are not going to be helpful. But that is another sign, like we were talking about before, when do you know it's getting into this pattern where you're letting your kids sit out and it doesn't feel productive and it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a one-time thing and it's going to be changing for next time. At that point, I would probably bring someone else in to help. So this has been so great. Thank you so much. We appreciate this so much, Karen. Um, so again, this is Dr. Karen Weiss. Um, she has a private practice in Midtown Manhattan. She works with children of all ages and she does not only neuropsychological evaluations, but she also provides one-on-one counseling. So thank you so much for being here, Karen. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information, and since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or a local pediatric professional if you have specific concerns. We invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.